0: Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 11, verse 42 of the book of Luke, and let's get into it. Now, last time we saw Jesus confront his critics, some more, as they were wanting a sign from him. And now we'll continue with the Pharisees being rebuked to finish out chapter 11. Now, in verse 42, we see that the Pharisees were externalists. They showed the greatest attention about the smallest details of the ceremonial law, such as tithing tiny herbs. But they were careless in their relations with God and with man. They apparently were tithing possessions that they should have shared with the needy. They oppressed the poor, and they failed to love God. The Lord did not rebuke them for tithing mint and rue and every herb, but he simply pointed out that they should not be so zealous in this particular duty and neglect the basic duties of life, such as justice and the love of God. They emphasized the subordinate, but they overlooked the primary. They excelled in what could be seen by others, but they were careless about what only God could. Could see. And we see that in verse 43, they love to parade themselves around. They love to occupy positions of prominence in the synagogues, and they wanted to attract as much attention as possible for themselves in the marketplaces. And so they're guilty, not of just externalism, but they're also guilty of pride as well. And in verse 44, finally, we see the Lord had compared them to unmarked graves. Now under the law of Moses, whoever touched a grave would be made unclean for seven days. And we look to the book of Numbers chapter 19 verse 16 for that reference. And even if a person didn't know at the time that it was a grave, it still made them unclean. Now, the Pharisees outwardly gave the appearance of being these devout religious leaders. Maybe they should have worn a sign warning people that it was defiling to come in touch with them. But they were like unmarked graves, full of corruption and uncleanliness, and they infected others with their externalism and with their pride. And there's a vivid simile in verse 44 that is an example of Jesus's use of irony. Though the Pharisees avoided touching a grave for fear of ritual defilement, they themselves through their own unrecognized corruption were defiling defiling those who came into contact with them. Outwardly, the Pharisees appeared quite righteous, but inwardly, they were crooked and they were wicked. The same God who made the outside of man made the inside as well, and he is interested that our inward lives should be pure. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now getting into verse 45, we see the lawyers denounced. Jesus now directs his words against the experts in the law. And many of these experts were Pharisees. The lawyers were the scribes. They were experts in explaining and experts in interpreting the law of Moses. However, their skill was limited to telling others what to do. They did not practice it themselves. And one of the lawyers had felt the cutting edge of Jesus' words and reminded him that in criticizing the Pharisee, He was also insulting the legal experts. So in verse 46, their religious legalism that's explained here. They could interpret the Old Testament and the traditions built on it in such a way as to leave little room for personal moral decisions. As experts, they could of course find ways of circumventing the rules themselves. The Lord used this as an occasion to lash out at some of the sins of the lawyers. First of all, they oppressed the people with all kinds of legal burdens, and they did nothing to help them bear these burdens. They were notorious for their contempt of the very people from whom they derived their importance. Many of their rules were man made and were connected with matters of no real importance. The lawyers were hypocritical murderers. And in verse 47 to 48, they pretended to admire the prophets of God. And they went so far as to erect monuments over the tombs of the Old Testament prophets, as certainly seemed to be proof of their deep respect. But the Lord Jesus knew differently while outwardly disassociation themselves from the Jewish ancestors who killed the prophets, they were actually following in their footsteps. At the very time they were building tombs for the prophets, they were plotting the death of God's greatest prophet, the Lord himself. And they would continue to murder God's faithful prophets and apostles. Some lavish tombs were built for royalty, and others before and during the time of Christ. It was all very well for the experts in the law to build new tombs for prophets, long since martyred by the experts' ancestors. Yet this very act ironically symbolized approval of their ancestors' crimes against God's messengers. They may even have been seeking to atone for the sins of their ancestors, by the elaborate tombs. And in verse 49, these verses relate the grim truth behind the parable of the tenants. God's wisdom most likely refers to his sovereign wisdom that allows evil people to prosper and good ones to suffer. And by comparing verse 49 with that which is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, It will be seen that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. And here he quotes the wisdom of God as saying, I will send them prophets. In Matthew, he does not give this as a quotation from the Old Testament or from any other source, but simply presents it as his own statement. The Lord Jesus promised that he would send prophets and apostles to the men of his generation and that the latter would kill and persecute them. Now, verses 51, or 50 to 51, he would require of that generation the blood of all God's spokesmen, beginning with the first recorded case that we have in the Old Testament, which is that of Abel, and even down to the last instant, which is that of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. And for reference, we take a look at 2 Chronicles 24, verse 21. Now, 2 Chronicles was the last book in the Jewish order of the Old Testament books. Therefore, the Lord Jesus ran the entire gamut of martyrs when he mentioned Abel and Zechariah. As he uttered these words, he well knew that the generation then living would put him to death on the cross and thus bring to an awful climax all their precious persecution of men of God. It was because they would murder him that the blood of all previous dispensation would fall upon them. And now we have the response of the scribes and the Pharisees in verses 52 to 54. Finally, the Lord Jesus denounced the lawyers for having taken away the key of knowledge, that is, for withholding God's word from the people. Though outwardly they professed loyalty to the scriptures, yet they stubbornly refused to receive the one of whom the scriptures spoke of. And they hindered others from coming to Christ. They didn't want Jesus themselves, and they didn't want others to receive Jesus as well. The scribes and the Pharisees were obviously angered by the Lord's straightforward accusations. So they began to assail him. They stepped up their efforts to trap him in his words. By every possible device, they sought to trick him into saying something for which they could condemn him to death. And in doing so, they only proved how accurately Jesus had read their character. Jesus directed his final woe against the experts in the law, for their sin had taken away not just physical, but eternal life a dereliction of their most important duty. Those who should have opened the meaning of the Old Testament with their key not only declined to use it themselves, but they prevented others from entering. The implied subject of knowledge is probably the kingdom of God, which people were seeking to enter. And Jesus' series of woes here made the violent hostility against him That's described in verses 53 to 54, inevitable. His opponents followed him out of the house and fired at him a barrage of difficult questions because he had challenged those who professed to be the expert biblical teachers, and they were out to defend their reputation by trying to discredit Jesus. And finally, one final thought here to close out chapter 11. The severe things said in verses 39 to 52 against the Pharisees and the lawyers were said at a Pharisee's dinner table. What we call good taste is often made a substitute for loyalty to truth. We smile when we should frown and we are silent when we should speak. It's better to break up a dinner party than to break faith in God just some food for thought. And with that, we will close out here with chapter 11. Now, next time we will start chapter 12 and we'll have some warnings and encouragements with that chapter. So until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.